0: From Capybara Media, this is You're Going to Be Great, the self-care podcast that supports you through life's ups and downs with mental health and wellness tips from experts. Here's your host, Emmy Evans. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to You're Going to Be Great. Today is part two of the series with Matt Wright. In this episode, we'll be talking about how families and friends can better support their loved ones who are struggling with addiction or in recovery during this difficult and scary time. Matt, let's dive right in and talk about families. I mentioned off record that my um, experience with addiction is I had a brother who was an addict who died, and um, just looking back, even during you know this episode, just you know all the things that like I probably could have done differently, or like I think that family members just don't really know how to offer support all the time in the best way. Um right. and especially during something like this, where, like you said, like stress is heightened um and so sometimes um like transparency and all of that is a is amazing advice um but what if you know sometimes your your family just sucks <laughs> at dealing with stuff like this?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: like reaching out to someone like you or to a professional or you know showing up to like a an online meeting, do you think in your opinion, like might even be more valuable sometimes? Um, I don't know, like maybe people just don't feel like that they they have a family that's I don't know, says or does the right things and maybe as a family, like, I don't know, do you have recommendations on like how to kind of interact with or help walk somebody through this when you really just have no idea what you're doing.
1: Absolutely. And I think the first thing that I'll say is that I don't think, I I think it is count like how to help and how to walk through something like this in many ways is counterintuitive. And I don't think anybody does it perfectly. Mm -hmm. I grew up in an, I grew up with an alcoholic father. we didn't even acknowledge it for like two years, oh, wow. <laughs> you know what I mean yeah. and, and um and I've had um, other really close family members um, that that have struggled, and even though I tell people what the quote unquote "right things to do are all day, it's a much different thing when it's on the ground with the person you love, because what it involves is really. Um, finding a balance of showing love and concern and support and at the same time creating really clear boundaries and expectations about what you will and won't tolerate in a relationship with somebody with an addiction.
0: Yes. Which I feel like, and I've said this before, Just in chats with friends, I feel like also in the States, we're very bad with boundaries Mm -hmm. um, in general because we have that culture of politeness.
1: Yeah. Like, you're 100%
0: even family members, like, you're never supposed to fucking offend anybody. Right. And so we have such a hard time with boundaries. Like, my husband's from Italy Mm -hmm. and they have a much, well, with certain boundaries, they have a much easier time with with boundaries, I would say in general, maybe not necessarily as much in family with parents.
1: Mm-hmm. I feel like
0: that's an area they struggle with. But for us, it's just across the board with everybody. Like we don't want to offend the florist. We don't want to offend uh, right. we don't want to offend our parents. We don't want to offend our third cousin who we hate and never see.
1: Right. Like, <laughs> right.
0: Everybody. And so I feel like what we do is we like just hide. From mm-hmm. like any uncomfortable situations, because like we just don't know what to do. we don't know how to set a boundary. We don't want to give in to everything, and so mm-hmm. we just kind of tuck our tails. um, and I'm just saying in general, like you know you're dealing with like an annoying uncle at Thanksgiving, like I feel like we just suck at it so bad. <laughs> I
1: absolutely agree, and um, yeah, it is I think you know, culturally we're that way. And I think we just don't want to hurt anybody's feelings and really coming to somebody to saying, listen, I love you and what you're doing is absolutely killing you and it's totally not okay. The way you behave around me and I'm not going to put up with it is hard. (laughs) Like it's, especially if it's your child or your brother, like, like your closest family members, um, because I'll very often recommend to people, hey, if your loved one chooses to continue to do this, because many of, you know, I mean, a person with the, uh, normally they're not self so self-sustaining. Now, some people, you know, can, you know, function and have hold their own jobs and stuff like that. But, but many people, especially ones who wind up in the sort of an inpatient treatment setting, they don't really have their own money. There's been spending it on other stuff. And so many family members are financially supporting them, uh, you know, paying lawyers, you know, sort of softening the blow of many of the potential consequences, renting them apartments, all this other stuff. And I'll tell them, hey, like, I think it's important that you set a boundary that like, if you continue to do this, I am, A, not going to financially co-sign this. And allow you to keep living this lifestyle, either living in my house or providing a place for you or whatever. And B in our relationship, I would like to see these things change. And when you're in f- full addiction, like I can't have a real relationship with you and I want one, but I won't like this. And and many parents will say, So you want me to tell my kid they'll be homeless if they don't do this? And it's like a gut punch. And I yeah. said, I tell them, yeah. Like, I think sometimes that's what you have to do. Uh, um, so hard. So hard. So counterintuitive as a parent. Like, yeah, I, you know. Um, and and there are varying degrees, right? That's the extreme. There are varying degrees where I'm imagining, um you know, we've seen a real uptick. I read something the other day that domestic violence um, reports in Utah County are up seventy five percent.
0: Oh my gosh! Um, uh,
1: during during this and and that, you know, in some cases maybe um, addiction related or not, but increased, you know, humans in general with increased stress just don't function as properly. We just operate from our pr- more primitive parts of our brain, and um, and that. If you have an addiction sends an automatic signal to say let's deal with this with substances and then as we know people who have substances often lash out in anger especially if they're you know so there's there's also boundaries that may need to be set like this may create even new and more problematic behaviors and a greater need for hey this is not okay um and i always though say like this is the hard thing to do and you balance it with love because what the person also really needs is to know that somebody cares enough about them to want them to get better but they're not going to put up with they're going to call out some bullshit if they see it and they're not going to tolerate it
0: but yeah and i see that's i feel like what we struggle with
1: it's hard to find the middle because it builds and builds and builds and then it's like ah oh, yeah it was you know a similar kind of dynamic in my home it was like let's pretend things are cool and just kind of ignore what's going on and then there'd be a blow up and then we yeah. like it simmer down and there would be a blow up and then we'd just do that over and over and yeah it's not it doesn't lend itself to change and i think you know the boundary thing is that especially in this time we need to protect ourselves it's not to change the other person it's just to say I have to protect my own mental health and my own well-being my own space and things are hard enough as it is and you introduce an x factor into all of our lives if you're in proximity to me that is uncontrollable and erratic and I don't know what it's going to do and so I'm not going to allow that x factor to disrupt what i'm already just trying to do my best to hold together.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. But like you said, also supporting and and showing up and being loving.
1: Right. Uh, and, oh, and so okay. when i say the x factor, what that does is that it, it differentiates i can differentiate you as the human being that i love from this thing that is a monster. You're not the monster. This thing, this drug, this addiction, the substance use disorder, whatever you wanna call it, that's the monster. And I think it's this kind of cognitive shift that way. I've noticed when I work with people, helps reconnect them to their loved one that they can see underneath there that they remember. And then you have, if you can, if that loved one, if they make a shift, then you have a common enemy and you work together to fight that common enemy.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense.
1: Um, I think it's also really important for family members and loved ones to get their own help, whether like that's
0: their, their own separate therapy,
1: their own separate yeah. therapy, Al-Anon. Um, there, there are different p- family support groups. Unfortunately, the the community is not as robust. I was looking yesterday for online meetings for Al-Anon and some other ones. And there are some, and and actually part of the good thing is that there are some, you know, you know, because of the, so many meetings are going online, there's probably more opportunity, but it takes a little bit more research for those. But I would just say like, whatever resources you can get, because it's hard. That's, it's a lonely place, you know, I'm sure, uh, you know, Mm-hmm. you know, being both in both of our experiences, you know, raising a family where somebody had an addiction. I know we didn't go to support groups and talk to other people about how they were dealing with it. We just kind of like kept it in our house and we're like, what are we going to do with this? I We never planned for this. We don't have a contingency plan for when one of our family members goes off the rails.
0: Right. And I feel like the, in when it's family, one of the at least in mine, um, it, denial is really big. Like it's easier mm-hmm. just to pretend like everything is okay. Totally. And, or just like, you know, just write it off as like, they're just kind of being a dick.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, like.
0: Yeah. And you don't really, I mean, and also I think it's generational too. There's like a lot of ancestral trauma at play. There's a lot of, also stigma about, you know, going to therapy, I feel like it's getting better.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: definitely growing up, like people just didn't go to therapy that uh, yeah. much. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and definitely like our parents generation didn't. Yes. Um, and so I, I just feel you're right. That's not like, that's not the first step. Although, you know, in retrospect, and years after getting my own therapy and stuff, like, I'm like, Oh my God, I would have dealt with things so much better now. Like just even having like a basic understanding of like anxiety disorders and stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. but, and just like mental, mental health in, in general um, and wellness. Um, but yeah, I, in retrospect, I wish that my family would have went to therapy to kind of help support uh, my brother and obviously he really should have been in therapy um, probably since like kindergarten mm-hmm. and um, cause he'd always struggled really bad with like, you know, social anxiety and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, I can see that that would be invaluable.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I, I think um, bringing that up, you know, um, the, wow, what, what, what would have happened if he'd have had some help? early on. And, and it's really easy to blame ourselves and say, yeah, I wish I would have sure. done this and I wish I would have done that. And again, I just really want to stress that this isn't something that we, most of us plan for our past generations have largely ignored or yeah. justified or, you know, you don't tell the family, see, like you, you don't, you, you don't say what goes on in here out there. Um, we don't reach out for help. We just kind of try to manage it ourselves. And so I do, I agree. I do think we are shifting in a better direction and I'm hoping, you know, our generation can help this next generation. You just move more and more toward transparency. And you got things like Brené Brown, like, you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, you know, people coming right out and just being like, yeah, it's okay to talk about stuff. And, and for all of us just to be a little bit more vulnerable, but back to the point of, um, you know, when I work with, uh, with, with people with substance use disorders, uh, very often we come back to inner child work, um, Mm -hmm. because so many people learned something about themselves when they were young that they just, whether it was from inside the family, outside the family, some just sort of, uh, kind of the way their brains wired, um, they're dealing with pain and often that pain is old and started very young. And I think it helps to remember like your loved one who's acting like a total asshole is really just a scared, wounded person who's trying to deal with pain. And it's not okay to put up with the way they're coping with the pain. And sometimes it's hard to find compassion and empathy for a person who's acting like a total asshole but inside there is a person who's hurting and what they really need is somebody to just say hey like i love you and 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 i want you to be better and i want to have a relationship with you and i want to work together to fight this common enemy um and we're going to need some help to do it
0: that is so lovely i love that um, yeah. do you feel like, um, because things are shifting, it's, it's becoming easier for people to get help and to reach out, to, um, to people like you for help and, um, and to talk with friends and family op- more openly about addiction and what they're going through?
1: I do. Um, I do think so. I, and, and this is just sort of my own anecdotal experience. But, you know, I I remember, yeah, I think my, my addiction didn't come till my 20s, but certainly, uh, you know, in the 90s, when I was, you know, a teenager, we didn't talk talk about depression and anxiety and going to therapy, like it just wasn't a link we had. And I had all this stuff inside of me. Like, you know, like gnarly stuff that I, I couldn't talk about. And I do see, especially, you know, we work with a lot of folks um, in their 20s, and I do see that they have a much more robust language around this. Now, granted, a lot of them have already had some therapy by the time they come to us. But I do see, um, for example, uh, young men being able to talk about their feelings much more so than my generation and certainly the generation before that um being able to talk about mental illness being able to talk about what's going on with them um but I also see some ambivalence with it too and I also mm. yeah so I'm not saying it's I think we're on a on a better course I do think that that some of us we just have a better social language around it and awareness around it um and that's that's encouraging to me
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear my younger siblings talk and I'm always like really impressed with their just awareness about wellness, even if they don't like they, they, they understand what like even basic things like meditation Mm -hmm. are like things that we just didn't grow up with. So
1: yeah, hopeful. the The application of it is sometimes a different thing right totally, totally. having having a conceptual construct of what it is and applying the solution are two different things and I think part of that's being human we you know and and that's where the rubber meets the road and and to your question, do you find people reaching out like it's easier for them to reach out like that's a little bit more. I don't see, you know, I see more awareness, but not quite as much improvement. Some improvement in still being able to bite the bullet and say, like, yeah, when when push comes to shove, like, I need help. I'm gonna like reach out to this person or that person. But but I do find once it becomes, and this is why I think there the the um, having communities is important. Um, I think one of the genius things that AA did right on was they said, you know, recovery is just one alcoholic talking to another because it really encourages this idea that it's just okay to have a conversation about what's going on inside of you and that together you're stronger in fighting whatever that thing is just by being together.
0: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you, what would you, who, who would you recommend people reach out to, like just by chance, if there's anyone listening to this episode who might be struggling with addiction, mm-hmm. um, what is a first step for them, um, especially during the pandemic? I mean, I, like you said before, that's really probably holding people back, but what, what would your recommended like very first step be in like trying to sort of get help right now?
1: Um, I would first take stock of who in their life they feel would show up for them and mm-hmm. reach out to those people. I think if those people are capable maybe of of having the conversation. But I think, you know, as family members or loved ones, we're usually we respond pretty positively when someone is finally accountable and says, Hey, I'm I'm trying to look for help. I would go to the people that can kind of offer that initial response of, of love and warmth and, Hey, let's do this. And I'll, we'll do this together. Um, then I would contact, um, Depending on, you know, there are many, I would, I would go to uh, very often therapists who specialize in addiction have a pretty good understanding. They can do an evaluation, even if it's not in person of what kind of care a person might need. Um, so psychology, like something like psychology today, you could scroll through and find local therapists, uh, and find ones that specialize in addiction. Um, and get an evaluation of what kind of care might be needed at this point and what resources are feasibly available at this point. Um, I mentioned UCERA, USARA, um, they're a local um, organization that does a lot in the community for people with substance use disorders. Um, Anybody you know that's gone through it or is sober or has any kind of connection to, like that uncle who got sober 20 years ago, you know, or whatever it is, like just a conversation, especially like, I think what a lot of people love to hear is somebody who gets it. Who's like, yeah, I've been through what you've been through. I know where you're at. It's going to be okay. Like they can talk them through it. So anybody, you know, in recovery, and if you don't, um, I would say, this is, and this is where it gets a bit more difficult, but I would say, find an online meeting, maybe just introduce yourself. Like even in a chat, like, hey, I'm new, this is my first meeting ever. I, I would be willing to bet they'd get an outpouring of support, hey, so glad you're here. Hey, what do you need? Do you need to talk? Here's my number um finding a sponsor it's a little bit more difficult but that's a, a for those not familiar a sponsor is a kind of a person you're kind of go-to person in a recovery community in other communities like uh maybe um dharma recovery or some or smart recovery you know sometimes they have mentors or peer support people um whatever it is to have to try to connect with somebody too who's kind of your go-to and you develop a relationship with which again under the circumstances is more difficult but not impossible but it does require a certain amount of getting over the awkwardness And, and to anybody listening i'll tell you right now it's gonna feel awkward and totally weird and that's okay because the person you're talking to if they're in recovery they've done the same thing and they get it and it's no big deal when you're calling you're like, hey, uh, it's me, I just am checking in. I'm doing okay, I guess. And you're like, I don't know what to say. (laughs) That person's just like, cool. All right, I'm glad you're all right. Call me tomorrow. You know, that's just kind (laughs) of how, uh, just real contact connection and then transparency and accountability, like letting people really know what's going on and, and trying to find it within yourself to like be okay with, getting over shame and letting people just know this is what's happening even if you have a slip up or whatever um so i'll try to put together some resources that we can link
0: yeah yeah um, i i would love to have everything down below um if you need help matt's gonna hook you up
1: yeah i mean and like if you want to put my email or phone number. I don't give a shit call me <laughs> i'll talk to you <laughs>
0: you know that's so sweet and like seriously Matt, so good talking with you like i learned a lot and just really good information just really solid dude thank you oh so much.
1: thanks i'm so glad it was helpful yeah and,
0: um yeah like like matt said we're gonna put all of the resources below if you need help um you know staying in recovery if you need help getting help, um, just check out the resources and, and I'm sure that there will be plenty there to get you started, um, and to get you what you need. Uh, Matt, it was so good having you. Thank you so much for sharing your time and, um, it's been a, it's been a pleasure.
1: My pleasure too. It was great talking to you and thanks for having me.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of You're Going to Be Great. If you've got a minute, please share with your friends and family and leave a review. If you've got questions or comments or you're interested in being a guest on the show, you can find our contact info below. Thank you and stay safe out there.